Beloved congregation of the Lord, as we begin our message for this Lord's Day morning service, would you turn to the back of your Psalters to page 62, as we consider the doctrine summarized here in Lord's Day 30 of our Heidelberg Catechism. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us that we have a full pardon of all sin by the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he himself has once accomplished on the cross, and that we by the Holy Ghost are engrafted into Christ, who according to his human nature is now not on earth, but in heaven at the right hand of God his Father, and will there be worshipped by us. But the Mass teaches that the living and dead have not the pardon of sins through the sufferings of Christ, unless Christ is also daily offered for them by the priests. And further, that Christ is bodily under the form of bread and wine, and therefore is to be worshipped in them. So that the Mass at bottom is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and sufferings of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. For whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? For those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ and that their remaining infirmities are covered by his passion and death and who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy, but hypocrites and such as turn not to God with sincere hearts, eat and drink judgment to themselves. Are they also to be admitted to this supper who by confession in life declare themselves unbelieving and ungodly? No, for by this the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, it is the duty of the Christian church, according to the appointment of Christ and his apostles, to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven till they show amendment of life. Well, children, I have a question for you. Suppose that your mom and dad were to take you aside and say, listen, my son, listen, my daughter, it's getting kind of expensive to feed you. We keep getting more groceries and you just keep on eating and eating. And you know what? There's some other things we need to spend our money on. So from now on, you're not going to have any food at the family dinner table. I bet you that is the last thing your mommy and daddy would say. I bet you that they love you so much that almost anything else they would part with in order to make sure that you had all the food in order to grow up big and strong. Well, how about this? How about instead of mommy and daddy telling you something like that, which would just be silly, suppose you were to go to your mom and dad and say, you know what, I've made a decision, mom and dad, from now on, I don't need any vegetables, I don't need any fruits, I don't need any meats. I'm just going to eat cotton candy and licorice. That's the only things I'm going to eat. You know what, I bet your mommy and daddy would tell you, you know what, 
That's not going to make you grow up healthy. That's not going to make you strong. Not only do we need to provide you food, we need to provide you food that will nourish you, that will help you. Make sure you don't get sick and weak, but that you mature in greater and greater ways. Well, these are illustrations to teach us about the amazing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus loves his church so much that he wants his church to be fed. To be a living member of the church is to be born again by the Holy Spirit, to have a living faith in Christ. And that life and that faith, they need to be built up. They need to be nourished. They need the word of God regularly preached and taught so that their faith does not grow less and less, but more and more as they pass through this life. It's also the case is that what we think we need to grow our faith can sometimes be confused. We can think we need to focus on this truth or that truth. But what Christ has appointed is that the the central truth, the most important truth of the whole Bible that we need to hear regularly and repeat it over and over is his dying love upon the cross for sinners. If we want to grow in our faith, we have to submit unto the goodwill and wisdom of our Lord. This is especially set forth before us in the text which we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where you read in verse 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Eating and drinking from the Lord's Supper. What's implied here in these words, as often as ye eat this bread, what's implied there is that this is not just something that we do every so often, but regularly. Regularly we need to have our faith strengthened through this means of strengthening the faith of believers, the supper of the Lord Jesus Christ, invisible signs of bread and wine, and the great wisdom and word of God directing us through these means unto the once for all death for Christ on the cross. If you will not receive this in the way that Christ has appointed And either you are no Christian at all or a most weak Christian. Brothers and sisters, let us, let us focus on this. That we may fully surrender to the great love and wisdom of Christ for his church this morning. Also as we anticipate the celebration of the Lord's Supper. With the Lord's help, let us consider this text, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, under the theme, proclaiming the Lord's death. Proclaiming the Lord's death. And three thoughts, a past event, a present duty, and a future expectation. A past event, a present duty, and a future expectation. 
For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till he come. The whole scope of this part of 1 Corinthians 11 is remembrance. Remembrance. That is what the Lord's Supper is about. To bring our minds and hearts out of our present circumstances, out of our present difficulties, that we may focus on the great past event of Christ's suffering and death. Notice that that comes up repeatedly in the words of Christ himself, quoted by the Apostle Paul in verse 24 and 25. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. We spoke earlier on in our series about the importance of the Passover meal to the old covenant people of God. How it was that after their great deliverance through the Red Sea, God instructed the moms and dads of each one of the families to instruct the young children about what do these things mean about slaying the Passover lamb, about putting his blood upon the doorpost, about removing the leaven from the home and and so forth. Well, they all pointed to the great past offense of God's awesome deliverance from the house of bondage. So also in the light of that greater exodus, that greater deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection and pouring out of the Holy Spirit, there is also a great thing for the people of God to remember, a great thing for the people of God to seek, to bring before their minds and hearts. And that is right here. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us consider the words of Matthew Henry here. The best of friends and the greatest acts of kindness are here to be remembered with the exercise of suitable affections and graces. The best of friends. Children, Jesus Christ is the very best friend that we could have. He is the one that we must be focusing on every day, but especially where we gather together for worship, especially where we gather together for the Lord's Supper. And it might be a strange thing to think, but Christians can forget. They can forget. Well, we're not surprised that the world forgets the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world, for they are under the power of the wicked one. But where people in the church begin to forget the central focus of the work of Jesus Christ, to focus on gimmicks and distractions, upon their own priorities, upon their own hobby horses, then we say this is a shame and a reproach to the church of the living God. How could the bride of Christ forget her bridegroom? How could the people of God forget their Savior? And yet you know your own heart. You know that were it not for the Lord impressing this upon you, time and after time, you likewise would find yourself drifting, drifting away from that sure ground of your only comfort in life and death, drifting away from your very first love. 
Oh, I would exhort you as your pastor, do not forget the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not forget the cross. Do not forget his passion and suffering. The Lord Jesus would have you to remember, to do this in remembrance of him. And so this is central to the exhortation and example before us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Now, let us bring our minds back to those events 2,000 years ago when the Lord's Supper was instituted. You remember how it went, children, don't you? They needed a place, a place to celebrate the Passover meal on that night in which Jesus Christ was betrayed into the hands of the Romans. And so Jesus and his disciples, they go into Jerusalem and, and Jesus actually prepares all the way before, for them. He, stay, he says to them, go into a house that you've never been before. Speak to a man that you've never spoken before. Tell him to tell the master of the house that the Lord is coming, that he needs a place suitable for the celebration of the Passover meal. And so it was that exactly as the Lord said, they carried out his wishes. And what is particularly striking to me is the words that Jesus initially spoke on that occasion. You can find it in Luke 22 and verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I've meditated upon those words, that, that intense phrase that the Lord Jesus used, with desire I have desired. So great is his heart of yearning to celebrate this Lord's Supper with his disciples. Why would that be, dear one? Why would that be, Christian? It would be because his desire is for his people. From days of old, from eternity past, he delighted in the sons of men. He delighted in his precious church. He had a fondness and a love that was from everlasting to everlasting. He set his love upon you. He became poor that you might become rich. He determined to die that you may live. He became a servant that you may become a son or daughter of God. His desire was to have you with him where he is for eternity. To redeem you not only from the eternal condemnation of hell, but to bring you into eternal glory with himself, with his angels in that new heaven, the new earth. And so he says, he says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He treasured that moment with his disciples. He loved these men as he loves all of his people. So it is that the Lord Jesus would say also to this small church of his choosing, to each one of the precious believers here, I have desired also this morning 
in the year 2024, in the first Sunday of December, to have this Passover with you. The Lord, he has a yearning that you would not only be redeemed by his blood, but nurtured in your faith, dear one. There is a place for you, each one, who is redeemed by his blood and sanctified by his spirit and prepared for this supper. He would have you here. Notice those words, for I say unto you, I will not any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's a link drawn here. The table of the Lord and the great marriage supper of the Lamb in the world to come. That wonderful, perfect communion in the new heavens, the new earth, there's a foretaste of that. A foretaste of that heavenly bliss that his people partake of in the here and now. This is on his heart. Do you remember Do you remember Christ's love for you? Consider these words that we read even in our scripture passage. The very words that he spoke. The words that he spoke as he sat down at the table with his precious church. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Oh, do you see him there? There he is. He's blessing the wine and he's blessing the bread for his disciples. And and look as he takes that, that bread in his hands and look with those hands as he breaks it in two. This is my body. Not a body that is unbroken, but a body that is broken. The precious humanity of Christ His body and his soul tortured and racked with pain, pierced with a spear, nailed to a cross under the wrath of God. All of Christ's suffering held forth just as an event, just as something to think about. No, it was done for you. Can you forget, dear one, that Christ died for you? Do not allow it to slip from your memory. Do not allow it to be clouded out with whatever else you might be thinking about this morning. Remember. Remember what Christ did. Not only his love for you, but his suffering. Remember his agonies. It said in Isaiah 53, verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because... He hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Just focus on those words. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. The language evokes the drink offerings under the old covenant. As that liquid is poured forth as an offering unto the living God, it is received as true and acceptable worship. But never was an act of worship received like the offering of Christ, both in body and soul, both in humanity and in his divine person. His death was worthy to receive a million worlds unto heavenly glory. It was infinitely valuable, infinitely 
worthy in its estimation before the throne of heaven. And it was done for you, sinner. Done for you, believer. Christ died for sinners to redeem them from the curse of the law that they may be righteous before a holy God. Do we remember? Have we forgotten? How could we forget this one who it is said here in verse 25, after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this is the New Testament. In my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. A sure and firm promise, a testament of grace and life. Christ has pledged with his very blood unto you an everlasting inheritance. And that testament written with his very blood, his death purchased for you all that you have as far as communion with God, forgiveness for sins, joy in the Holy Spirit, Growth and grace, holiness and repentance, it all flows freely from that once for all sacrifice of Christ. Indeed, we must do in remembrance of him. He prays in his great high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Have you been sanctified through the truth of Christ? Has the gospel gone forth and captivated you? Have you realized that there is none other Savior that you can name? That there is no other hope for you but the blood of Christ. If you've been sanctified by his word, it was because he was sanctified. He was set apart unto this terrible death, unto this grim reality of separation from God. He shrieked with horror and pain, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That you may sing with joy unspeakable. Grace and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Here is the link, the righteous dying for the unrighteous. Here is the great exchange. He becoming a curse for us that we become the righteousness of God in him. After he celebrated the supper, we're told in John 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he would depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy set before him, Christian. It was seeing the great result of his death and sacrifice that he endured with gladness, the reproach of men and the curse of his father. Matthew Henry writes, it is not barely in remembrance of Christ, of what he has done and suffered, that this ordinance was instituted, but to commemorate to celebrate his glorious condescension and grace in our redemption. This is what the Lord's Supper is about. 
This is why we believe that there should be teaching on the Lord's Supper. This is why where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we exhort you. We exhort you to remember what Christ has done. And I would remind you, Christian, where you are around the table of the Lord, where you hold his body in your hand and where you drink his cup, his cup of his blood to your lips. Remember that these visible signs point you to a spiritual and eternal reality. They point you to the great source of your salvation. Fixate upon him and receive the blessing unto your faith, unto your sanctification, unto your encouragement. The Belgic Confession, which we confess, says this. This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us and gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his suffering and death, nourishing, strengthening, and comforting our poor, comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. We've spoken of a past event. Let me now speak to you about a present duty. A present duty. This word that is translated in the King James, show forth his death till they come. We would say that it, it could perhaps more um, understandably be translated, proclaim, preach, celebrate. The idea is that what is communicated through the attendance of the Lord's Supper by the church of the living God is the reality of his death. And so John Calvin writes here, Paul now adds what kind of remembrance ought to be cherished, that is, with thanksgiving, not, with the, not, the, not that the remembrance consists wholly or entirely in confession with the mouth. For the chief thing is that the efficacy of Christ's death be sealed in our consciences. But this knowledge should stir us up to a confession in respect of praise so as to declare before men that what we feel inwardly before God. So the actual word, it communicates the speaking or the proclaiming or the confessing of the reality of Christ's benefits unto us through what he has done for us. But this really holds forth not only something done with our lips, but done with our hearts, not just with our hearts, but also with our bodies, with our hands and with our lips. And all that we are, it is all bound up in this great act of worship. The same word is translated declaring in the King James in 1 Corinthians 2, so earlier on in this same book, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Here is that declaration which the apostle gave in his public proclamation of the word of the gospel, not through enticing words, not through elaborate eloquence, not through fancy talk. No, he wouldn't have people to be establishing their faith on the fact that this or that man is a good communicator. It had to be based upon the testimony of God, the power of God in simplicity, in directness. God speaking through his heralds, speaking through the living preaching of the word. And so also with the sacrament, some would say it's just so simple. It just seems too easy. Christ would strengthen my faith, not through some elaborate spectacle, not through some great show, but just through a little bread and wine, through a minister and through prayer and through preaching. Well, so it is. And God would use such humble means to bring about that new creation in the souls of men and to see it through unto completion. The means of grace. Great Lord of heaven and earth, how much we have cause to thank him. How much we have to praise him that in condescending Unto us in our lowly estate, in our weakness, in our frailty, and in our doubts. He could seal unto us this great grace, but also this great responsibility. That we, as a church, as the people of God, would unite together in this great display of this magnificent Savior. Matthew Henry writes, we declare his death to be our life, the spring of all our comforts and hopes. And we glory in such a declaration. We show forth his death and spread it before God as our accepted sacrifice and ransom. We set it in view of our own faith for our own comfort and quickening. And we own before the world and by this very service that we are the disciples of Christ who trust in him alone for salvation and acceptance with God. And this is why, Christian, you cannot be a lone wolf, not a lone ranger. You need the body of Christ. You need the people gathered together in order that through the Lord's blessing you may confess Christ as part of his body, that you may declare before this world with its principalities and powers, with its unbelief, with its blasphemies, that you may declare before both demons and the unbelieving world that Christ reigns, that Christ is exalted, that Christ both died and was risen, and we are his people, and he is our Lord, and we will be steadfast unto death. Our Belgic Confession says, with humility and reverence, we receive the holy sacraments in, sacrament in the gathering of God's people as we engage together with thanksgiving in a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior, and as we thus confess our faith and Christian religion. The last place I would speak to you about a future expectation. Isn't that a beautiful note in which our text ends? For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Till he come. Oh, there is coming a blessed day where faith will become sight. 
where we will become as he is, with glorified bodies, as the dead are raised, and as all look before the great throne of our God, we shall see the Lord Jesus with his great legions of angels, his face shining forth as the sun, robed in splendor and glory where the unbelieving would wail at the sight of his coming, his people shall rejoice as their salvation draws nigh. And so today, dear one, do not just celebrate in looking at the past, but to that great future reality. Does it not clarify the mind of any believer where we consider the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? What will we be ashamed of then? Certainly not our faith, certainly not our testimony and confessing of Christ, certainly not our repentance from sin. No, we will be ashamed of our half-hearted devotion unto him, our laziness and our lethargy in prayer and devotion and worship. So as we see this today, let us hear the words of the word of God, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. And when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. How may we know that we will not be ashamed at his coming? How may you know, dear one, it is this, you apply unto Christ and him crucified for the full remission of all your sins, for that full cleansing through his blood. Plead that his renewing power of the Spirit would quicken you unto life that you may repent from dead works and serve the living God. And upon that confession of faith, solemnize that confession by coming forward to the table of the Lord and testifying that you are his. Amen.